0: everyone and welcome to another episode of the startups in Eden podcast really lucky today to be sitting here with Aaron and Sammy the team behind next farm how you doing really
1: good thank you
0: awesome awesome I thought a really cool way to start would be if you guys could introduce next farm maybe a little bit of an elevator pitch um, and talk a little bit about how each of you are involved in the company
2: yeah um, yeah, so Next Farm, we are building the future of irrigation through our environmentally responsive control system. So that's awesome. kind of the, Yeah, that's the, the quick pitch. Uh, we got our background kind of starting on farm with those frustrations we experienced. We're working with fixed grid systems, mm-hmm. um, not able to have any sort of flexible control for weather, livestock movements, anything like that. Um, just really inefficient for water usage and time, and we thought there had to be a better way. So that's what we're developing.
0: So, so what do people do at the moment if they're not using your product?
2: Yeah, so there are a variety of products out there. Um, what we've seen a lot is actually kind of retrofitted residential timers. So it's literally just a timer. You plug in what day of the week, what time you want it to come on for, you put it on the post and it's just set for the season. Um, there's quite a bit of time drift in those, batteries need to be changed in those. Okay. And um, a lot of
1: these farms have maybe 3,000 or up to 3,000 units, so farmers are going out and changing individual sprinklers, it's massively time consuming. Oh man, yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, There are some other wireless systems out there, um, but they're not quite, don't quite have those integrations around them, um, the reliability, the feedback, what's going on at the sprinkler level, um, and actually having those trigger points and responsiveness to what's going on in the wider system.
0: Okay, Okay. so you mentioned time drift. Do you mind explaining what that is for someone at home that might not understand what that is.
2: Yeah, so time drift is you set it to run at you know, 2 a.m. every day and over the season, essentially there's errors added into that time, plus or minus, so mm. maybe instead of, it still thinks it's coming on at, what did I say, 2 a.m., yeah. uh, but actually it's coming on at 2.05.
0: Ah, yep. okay, right. Yeah.
2: And so when you schedule a system, cause they all, some will get fast, some will get slow, so, yeah. and all at different rates, and so if you are only allowed a certain you know, take, so you can only have X number of liters a second. Mm-hmm. And so you say, I know I need five sprinklers on and I can't have more than that. Well, when you start getting into the time drift, you might have a couple minute overlaps. Uh, um, so you violate okay. that flow rate or you exceed that flow rate. Um, or if you have pumps of certain sizes as well, if you get more, multiple overlapping, mm-hmm. your pump may not be able to handle with how many sprinklers are on at that time.
0: Okay, so the implications being using too much water, when yeah. you don't mean to, yep. um, yeah, and in the wrong areas, obviously. Exactly. Yeah, okay, interesting. So that's obviously one of the products that you guys have over at Next Farm. Mm-hmm. The other one is EffluTrack. Do you mind explaining a little bit about what EffluTrack is? Yeah, right.
2: yeah.
1: yeah. so EffluTrack's a fail-safe device for travelling um, effluent irrigators, Okay. Um, dairy farms, obviously when the cows poo, Um, They have to collect that, it goes into big ponds and then they apply that to their farms and there's a lot of compliance regulations, they have to meet for councils. Um, In particular regions, the regulations are different, but yeah, certain regions require fail-safe devices, Um, and then yeah, ours is a remote control device, you have one on your pump, one on your um, irrigator, and they communicate to each other, if the irrigator stops moving for any reason, it'll tell the pump unit, the pump will turn it off, and then the pump will then tell the farmer that it's turned off so the farmer knows there's okay. an issue, they can go out and check on it. And then you've got the remote controllability. So yep. um, I could be out fixing the, the issue with the hose, fix it all and I can turn it back on, watch and make sure everything's going. And awesome. then, yeah, have that peace of mind that everything's going as it should.
0: Cool, and that was kind of the first product that Next Farm had that was on the market. You guys bought that business, is that right?
2: Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so November 2017 it would have been. Okay. Um, I bought the effluent track. We were still developing RIM, the irrigation side of it at that point. So, purchase effluent track because, kind of, the Internet of Things in agriculture, water management, effluent management, they're mm-hmm. both about those resources on farm. Um, effluent's a very valuable resource for the farmer, um, so it's helping them apply it in a more efficient way. And so, yeah, purchase that kind of to cash flow us and help fund the irrigation development in November and um, just kind of been taking along with that since.
0: Right, so what's that like? Do you guys put quite a bit of time into maintaining Efflu Track as a, as a business
2: on its own, or is the majority of your time on, is it, is it RIM, is that right? RIM, yeah. yeah. Um, depends on the time of year, uh, it's, a, it's a bit of both. So we've actually done an upgrade of Efflu Track, mm-hmm. which we're releasing at Field Days in Mystery Creek this year. Awesome. And so doing that upgrade, we'll spend a bit of time on it then obviously and we're changing, looking at changing or adding on to that model a bit because so far it's been just directly to the farmers. Okay. So we have spent a lot of time on farm in the past. And so we're, we're talking to a couple distributors at, at this point to kind of widen our reach with that product okay. um, and then provide the support to them and not spend quite as much time on farm, so that we can focus more on RIM. On RIM
0: and developing that product. So Mm -hmm. you said you're still developing
2: Track. What does that look like? So we redeveloped, we upgraded Track. Okay. Um, So adding on some, kind of future-proofing it, adding on a few bells and whistles and um, allowing us to expand the capabilities of that technology without having to actually change any of the infield hardware or anything like that. Okay, awesome, awesome. So
0: when you're going out to a farmer and you're selling to them, are you selling both those products side by side to that farm or are you typically focusing on one of them at a time?
1: Not, No, not necessarily. Customers for each product, I mean, they might overlap a little bit. We yeah. do have some of our farms in Central Otago are dairy farms and they will okay. have to apply the effluent. Um, but for the most part, um, if the effluent failsafe is directly for dairy farmers um, and okay. dairy farming in particular regions such as Southland don't necessarily need a lot of irrigation. Mm. Yeah, whereas. Um, places like Canterbury Plains might have giant pivot systems um, that they would apply the effluent through as well. So yeah, there's not, there is a overlap, but not.
0: But it's not the common place no, thing. No, yeah. No. Okay, right. And what when you say when you're going out and you're selling something like rim, what is the attraction for that farmer? Are they typically interested because it's going to save them time or save them money? Um, or is it the environmental impact? Do you guys get a little bit of attention because of that?
2: Yeah. I'd definitely say all of the above. Yeah. Um, and there, you know, it depends on the farm. We, for RIM, we work with distributors as well. Okay. So irrigation companies, um, car fields, we did some tests with them them last season, which was really great. Um, and so part of that is finding farmers that are, have that early adopter mindset mm. and are interested in technology and those efficiencies and everything that it can bring with it. And so that's a really big one. It's time saving for them. Um, but then it's how can you use your water more effectively? You know you're not gonna go out at the end of the season and have big brown dead patches because that valve didn't work. Mm. Or you're not gonna go out the next day and see that a sprinkler's been running for 24 hours. You're getting that feedback. You know when things are and aren't working. Um, You can start integrating with various sensors, um, weather, soil moisture, soil temperature, getting smart about how you're applying water and fertigation. Um, So putting fertilizer through your irrigation system Mm -hmm. and tailoring that based on each individual area instead of doing a blanket cover. Obviously you're saving costs, improving efficiencies, all those sorts of things.
0: Okay, so on that note of early adopters, Mm -hmm. have you guys got a particular process around how you find people you think are going to be likely to adopt the product? Is it mostly referrals? Uh, What does your sales process sort of look like at the moment?
1: So we go through distributors and a lot of the um, farms that we've previously worked with have been found through the distributors. Okay. Um, so for us, it's about building the relationship with the distributors we currently work with, as well as ones that we want to work with in the future. Mm-hmm. Mm.
2: And that process is really, as a startup and at the stage right, it's really about being open and honest, you know, here's where we're at, here's where we're going and making sure that everyone involved understands that. Mm. And so it is talking with the farmer, meeting the farmer before the installation goes in or after just so they can put a face to a name Know that we're there supporting them. If anything goes wrong, um, you know they can give us a call. We'll come out to the farm. We'll be there helping, uh, and that really—that's a huge part of it. That personal interaction with people mm. in what is most yeah. of rural New Zealand, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So
1: exactly. that kind of goes back a bit to what you were saying about how do we sell the product? What, um, and it's all about what resonates with the different stakeholders because mm. you know the farm's going to be the ultimate end user, but we're trying to sell to distributors, and then it's also. Um, you know, future investors, and, and so there's lots of different aspects of mm. our products. And in and the selling process, you have to figure out what resonates with the different people and sell them to that.
0: Cool. And has that sales process changed for you guys over time? Is this kind of, you you imagined it was going to be like this when you first sought out, um, or have you needed to change your messaging and things as you've developed the product and developed those relationships?
2: I guess what's, what we discuss with each different stakeholder has changed or been refined a bit. And that's come through those iterations. Honestly, it's come through listening, Mm -hmm. right? Being on the farm, what are their pain points or meeting with a distributor? What are their pain points with other products that are out there? Because Mm -hmm. they're in the service industry. So anything that doesn't work in field, they have to go address. And so really it's been listening and just having those more casual conversations and having that empathy and being there to support them and mm-hmm. listen um, has been very very valuable so you guys actually spend quite a lot of FaceTime with the farmers as, yeah. as the products have been developing yeah yeah yeah, yeah. especially as it's been developing um, we had quite a close relationship with a farm and um, yet their irrigation system and the irrigation installer and so we're constantly kind of you know oh we've got you know, 10 board, circuit boards to go test, let's go put them on a post and test in field. We had that place, we had that constant feedback. Okay, cool.
1: And so it's really important with that, that you go and actually figure out, you know, we think this is what we're offering, mm. but they can turn around and say, actually, you know, this is where I really see you helping me on okay. my farm, and so it's listening to that and being able to develop further from that.
0: And you said there was it's kind of a casual conversation in that process at this stage. Has it always been that way, or did you have some kind of formal customer interviewing earlier on in the process
2: um it was really i mean i guess it was the process was formal but the conversation was casual okay um so it wasn't so much let's sit down i've got this list of questions because oftentimes you know your list of questions can even be wrong or mm-hmm. you, they're your preconceived conception so you're saying we're going down this path so that i get them to say this is the problem but actually it's just about you know walk us through your day or tell me about your irrigation system or you know what's not going right, what's going well, and just having those more <coughs> casual and then following things, the interesting things that they say, mm-hmm. um, like our, our fail-safe aspect, for example. That was, I, that kind of originated as something that was more of interest, kind of a, a cool technical part, um, but now really getting into it, it's got, from listening and having those conversations, it has a lot more value than we probably originally attributed to it.
1: Okay. And farmers themselves are quite innovative people. I mean, you have to be, some of them live three hours away from anywhere where they can buy um, any hardware supplies or anything, so it's that sort of number eight wire attitude and it's going Mm. out and listening and they've got great ideas. So yeah, listen to them and what what they say and, and build on top of that.
0: It sounds like you guys have the core principles down pat with that sort of, interview sort of style We know when we get an early stage startup into startup to need and you have that conversation with them about customer interviewing and how to get about that and the types of questions you might ask and it's really interesting cuz a lot of the time these startups these early stage founders get locked into saying right i've got this list of questions i need to go through and tick each one off and have it in that very formal interview style yep. and then um, in that
1: way you're only getting the answers that you think you need exactly yeah. exactly
0: and, and and you don't necessarily put that interviewee the other person you're talking to in a position to go off on those tangents like what you're saying right no. um because you they feel like i'm stuck on what these questions are um you can alleviate that in some ways when i get someone that's really stuck on that i often tell them at the end just ask what did i miss because then it's going to give the farmer an opportunity or the whoever the interviewee is an opportunity to go in whatever direction they want to go in um but it sounds like you guys understand the core principles and then you're just building on top of them which is awesome Really good spot to be in, especially mm. first two in the team. Um, so this is this
2: is the whole team at Next Farm, is that right? Correct. Yep. Awesome. This is a team. We've got uh, got a board behind us, but we do the day-to-day operational. All the heavy lifting. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> And there's heavy
1: lifting in a startup. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so
2: how do you guys go about that? Is it kind
0: of these are my responsibilities, these are yours, or do you guys work collectively on things? You've only just recently moved to Dunedin. Yeah,
1: yeah. I have, yeah. So I came on about a year ago. Okay. Um, and worked remote up in Christchurch. Yeah, so it's quite hard working remote when there's only two of mm. you and you're constantly on the phone and trying to sort stuff out over email and it just, um, yeah, it was, it was time to move down um, to strengthen the team.
0: Yeah, Sure, and
2: it has been strengthened, that team dynamics changed a wee bit uh. in some ways? <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, th- I think it's been good. I think there's definitely ways that we could you know, maybe split roles a little bit more. It, it mm-hmm. definitely has been a little bit of everything to date. Okay. Um, so I think as we begin to grow, it's probably time to start drawing some sort of lines to certain degrees of fuzziness to say, you know, these are your responsibilities, mm-hmm. these are more mine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Sammy did quite a bit of work with FLU Track in the beginning when she joined the team. And so with working remote, we do have farms down here. And that was always kind of a challenge because she had most of the gear and it was like, oh, we've got to coordinate. Yeah getting bits and pieces back and forth and, yeah um, did um, a so, lot of
1: travelling as well on yeah. the road a lot which is which is fun you don't get bored of one place when you're not there very long <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's very true yeah. very true
0: so obviously as a team of two you guys are probably sitting about this distance from each other most of the time when you're working right um, do you guys still have formal meetings or formal practices like that where you go over things or is it kind of ad hoc as things pop up that you have a
2: chat about things um I'd, it's Kind of a combination. It's a bit ad hoc, but at the same time, we'll have a meeting about something, but we won't schedule it. And we'll just say, you know, I'm working on this. I'm working on this. We need to talk about this. Okay. Okay. In 45 minutes or an hour, three o'clock today, we'll have that discussion. And so we finish what we're doing, and then and then we turn our chairs around and, <laughs> <laughs> and talk to each other. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Nice. Yeah, I always find that an interesting an interesting dynamic. Even when I was involved in my startup, is you know, you're all together working at essentially the same table right in the same room so it's really easy to always go over and just ask that quick question yeah Um, but sometimes having that little bit of separation means that you can actually deep dive and get some work done Mm -hmm. because
1: i mean you know if say i've got something that i want to ask aaron but he's deeply involved in what he's doing at the moment he'll might listen for five seconds and give me a really shallow um you know overview of what he Mm -hmm. thinks but if you can schedule that time if it's particularly important then you can bounce ideas off each other and discuss and, and actually come up with a better solution
0: Totally. Totally.
2: And so that's a, I'd say that's a big part of it. Is is it a you know couple word answer? Mm. Do I just am I filling something out and I say hey what's what's this and yep answer done, or is it a strategic conversation we need to have and those yeah take a bit of time. Sure. Sure. So I want to go back a little bit to how the idea
0: was conceived. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you guys have been brought into the team post that first conception time, but you understand when that happened, right? Do you mind talking us through what that was like for the person who thought of the, thought of the idea?
2: Yeah, it was totally that. It, there's the the manual timer. How do we, you know, it's raining. How do we, <laughs> how do we adjust the irrigation schedule? Um, and so what can be done there? Obviously you shut some, some main valves off, those sorts of things, or drain the system. But then if you charge the system again, water goes in the lines, if there's air in the lines, it, pressurizes and you can get valves blowing up and those sorts of things so it was just that that need for something Mm. easier something better not having to go out in the field not having to replace the batteries being able to pause this paddock because the cows are on there quick and then put a little bit more water on tomorrow to make up for what may have been lost sure Um, Mm -hmm. those sorts of flexibilities
1: so it was really designed on farm to meet the specific needs.
2: The person that had the idea was the target yeah. customer, mm. which yeah. is often ideal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah,
2: cool. And we both come from farming backgrounds as well. I was about to ask. Yeah. Yeah. yeah mm. Me from the States, so some different systems there. Um but yeah, Sammy's from a farm here. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. So touching on that, obviously huh? yourself from the States,
0: I was having a conversation earlier this week with Ben Alder. Yeah. Um and he Uh-oh. mentioned <laughs> 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 it's nothing it's nothing bad, I promise. <laughs> Um, But he he did mention that you were selling some form of insurance when you were a teenager (laughs) to truck drivers across the (laughs) states. Do you mind telling us a little bit about that? Because I always find it interesting when somebody's entrepreneurial and has this something from their childhood which they, they first got their taste of entrepreneurship and
2: what that was like. Yeah, um, it wasn't insurance, it was something different. But I guess that journey, I grew up in a fairly entrepreneurial family. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father's always had his own business. My mom's always done the farming side and Let's see. I bought my first tractor when I was nine years old, I think. Um, wow. Okay. Yep. Uh, like yeah. full-size tractor? We're not talking like a toy tractor, right? <laughs> no. It was, so it was a... Sounds okay. pretty illegal. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> kind of a mix. It uh, it was a Yanmar. So it was a... It, um, were they out of China, I believe? But super tiny little tractor. So as a adult, you really can't fit on it. So it was perfect size for a nine-year-old, um, but you could run various implements on it so that was when I was beginning to start a pasture clipping business so essentially people okay. that had property um, you know five acres or so but didn't have the equipment to maintain it themselves mm. I would go maintain it for them. Um, at age my, nine? At a, yeah. <laughs> um, obviously my parents would have to drive me the, and the equipment there but then I'd go out and do the work. And Right um, and were
0: you the salesperson of that business as well?
2: Uh, Yeah, a lot of it was just kind of driving around. I didn't have a phone, so I guess that was also a difficult part (laughs) of it. You know, my parents would do some of that contacting, and people were often surprised. Oh, (laughs) you're doing the work. I'm paying you. (laughs) Um, But that's kind of where it all started. I had a beef and dairy herd as well Mm -hmm. growing up. Um, When you say growing up, teenage years, or are we still talking? Yeah, 10, 11, into teenage years. Um, I can't actually remember when I bought my first first cow, Um, but we would do local grass-fed beef to family and friends, so Mm -hmm. we'd raise them and sell them. And then, I guess then, started my factoring. So in 2008, I would've been 13, Mm -hmm. I think, 13, 14, um, started my factoring company. So factoring is the purchase of receivables at a discounted rate to allow the continuation of business. everyone goes, okay, (laughs) what does that mean? (laughs) And so what I would do is I did freight factoring. So long haul truck drivers, they're um, hauling block for Home Depot or hauling product for Walmart or whoever Mm. it may be, Um, if they couldn't pay for fuel or repairs or anything on their truck before they delivered that load, Mm. what I would do is pay them in advance for the load minus Uh, a fixed 5%. And then the company they were hauling for would pay me back the full price, awesome. so I was making five percent to allow them to actually make that load and make the money, and go on to do the next thing. Awesome. Uh, yeah. So that uh, that started in 2008. ran so, that so how high does that, how does how do you end up seeing that opportunity, and then at the age of
0: 13 have the thought of I could fix this for someone, and here's how I'm going to set up that contract. Like how did that how did that come about?
2: It wasn't too formal um, and part of that was because I was dealing with a local brokerage company so it was, we could have those conversations they were up the road. Um, but what happened, 2008, um, GFC, my uncle was a long haul truck driver at the time so that's mm-hmm. how I kind of became aware of it. Uh, our friends owned the brokerage company up the road so talked to them and with about the other drivers and the need there and because of the, I guess, Pasture clipping, the beef and dairy herd, also did. Um, I guess kind of in the middle of that, did some custom forage production as well. So of hay, hay and silence <laughs> that sort of thing in the summer. Um, that's kind of where I had the ability to actually then help out these truck drivers who were struggling mm. um, through that period to pay for you know, wages were low but fuel prices were high. Mm. Those sorts of things um, get them through that period.
0: Awesome. Yeah.
2: Awesome. So yourself, Sammy.
0: Obviously, you've a bit entrepreneurial as well. Do you mind explaining a little bit about your journey and how you've ended up at Next Farm? and A little bit about maybe what you were doing before being at Next Farm?
1: Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, so um, yeah, like Aaron said, I grew up on a farm as well in Southland. Um, parents had sheep and a little bit of beef and deer, um, but growing up in Southland when you live rurally, you either shear sheep or milk cows, yeah. I chose to milk cows, <laughs> so yeah, know all about what it's like to, to put in some long hours and, and work hard, um, and a little bit the same as what, what Aaron said with the raising his own beef herd, we would get bobby cows and raise them and then sell them, mm-hmm. um, and then yeah, went and studied business at university and got to the end of that and thought, you know, New Zealand's quite a small place, I want to go and see what else is out there, so I travelled for about two and a half years and, oh, and lived awesome. in Edinburgh for a couple of years, and. Then came back and um, got put in contact with Aaron through a shared contact of ours. Okay. And he was like, look, really want to expand the team and could really use some help. And, and I was like, it sounds like you're doing some amazing stuff and I, you know, it'd be really great to, to be able to combine my, the business side of things with mm. agriculture um, because obviously everyone needs to eat and I mean, eating itself is, is part of the agricultural industry. So yeah, it's been really great and been here for over a year now.
0: Awesome, and, and I guess was this the sort of role you imagined yourself ending up in after being at university and obviously growing up in Southland, was agriculture where you always saw yourself or is it something that the opportunity popped up and you were like, that's for me?
1: Not, no, so um, when I was at university, I was, I was kind of thinking I'd get into advertising. So okay. I did some internships and, and studied psychology alongside business and that was where I was heading and then, um, yeah, came back and, like I'm quite passionate about environmental um, awareness and and how we can you know have a sustainable future. Mm-hmm. So I came back and I was like, actually, you know, I don't I don't see myself in a role in advertising because I I don't feel like a, I personally would get the satisfaction from that. Definitely. And um, yeah, and so was looking at what else I could do, and and this came up, and obviously everyone needs to eat, and we can yeah, farming um like I said, really innovative farmers. The number eight wire sort of mentality, but um, it's been quite slow to on the uptake of technology. Okay. Um, you know, we've you can do literally everything from your cell phone in your hand, but a lot of those capabilities, you know, one phone aren't on an entire farm. Mm. So, so I I really am quite passionate about improving the efficiency of farming.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. And obviously, having grown up in Southland, has that been useful in how you sell? to the farmers, being able to kind of speak the same language, I mean, yourself as well, yeah. obviously. Yeah. I've got a States. funny accent, though. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> True, yeah. So, yeah, for sure, I think um, in any industry, you you need to be able to understand your customer. Mm. Um, and and look, you don't necessarily have to have a background in it, I think if you put the, the time and effort into mm. getting to know who your customer, customer is and um, where they're coming from, then you don't have to have the background, but certainly having the background helps. Sure. Um, and also, I mean, Growing up on a farm, and spending all that time there, I've got a lot of contacts in, yeah, in the course. New Zealand agriculture industry. So that helps as well.
0: Awesome. Yeah. So your, I suppose, university journey. You studied at Stanford. I did. And was it design thinking that your degree was in?
2: No, mm, uh, my my I studied business. Okay. More or less. Um, yeah. So it was a uh, it was a bit of a jack of all trades type of degree. Go so on. Mm-hmm. Give the full title. <laughs> this is my favourite. I yep. love it. The, the title of my degree is Management, Science, and Engineering with a concentration in Organisation, Technology, and Entrepreneurship. Right. Yep. So you went to this university and you're like, hey, look, I'm planning on working for this company sometime in the future
0: called Next Farm. <laughs> Yeah. Can you come up with a degree? That sounds <laughs> like it's perfect be- for that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah pretty
2: much. Um, which it was... It was great because it was, you know, literally everything. I had computer programming classes. I had accounting classes. I had psychology classes, electrical engineering, chemistry, um, philosophy, everything. I had wow. yeah classes across kind of the whole slew, um, and yeah, the D school, of design school, there at Stanford, that is that permeates a lot of the classes. So even though I never directly studied in there, a mm-hmm. lot of my classes had ties and, and references and. We did those processes and everything.
0: Awesome. And have you found that what you study has been applicable to to next time? Do you still draw on some of the things that you learn, or has it been more of one of those classic things? You had the university experience, and that was great, but now you're working in a real job, and it's it's slightly different.
2: Um, it's it's a bit of both. One, it definitely teaches you how to learn, um, okay. but it also gave me that kind of foundational knowledge in in a lot of different areas that are useful now mm-hmm. and and that's you know i'm technical enough because of that degree to you know sound like i know what i'm talking about <laughs> and and do some of that high level stuff and have those conversations and think about the higher level design but in terms of actually doing the nitty-gritty if, unless it's tinkering and troubleshooting mm. the full build is is beyond my my skill set um, okay. Having that foundation has been very valuable.
0: Okay, nice, yeah. nice. E- have you, either of you thought about going back to study? Is there something else that you might want to pick up later on, or are you set on just carrying on career-wise?
1: At this stage, um, not planning on going back to university, but yeah. you never know where life's gonna take you, so yeah, maybe.
2: Maybe. I don't know if I'd go back to university, but there's definitely other educational opportunities that I'd pursue. Okay, are there any of that come to mind? Um, you know, getting more proficient in the the coding, the development portion of it, definitely. Mm. Um, I was going to double major in computer science at Stanford, but it just didn't. I was not capable as a student at that point to to divide my time into the two degrees because um, yeah. they were both quite quite intensive degrees. So I can imagine that didn't quite work out, but um, I'd definitely go back to it.
0: Awesome, and and my understanding is that you guys are thinking about hiring in the near future. Does that mean that your respective roles are going to change
2: somewhat? Um, they'll change slightly, not too much. I, you know, depending on the person and, and how they fit in, you may step back a little bit from that technical side, <coughs> um, but for the most part things will carry on the same way they are because we're working with contractors at the moment. Okay. Um so I facilitate that th- those projects in that relationship now. Mm-hmm. And so if we have any contractors that implement our own team, our in-house technical people will probably be that that mm-hmm. on there. Um, or it'll all be in-house and they'll be in control of those. So Yeah.
0: All right. Where are you guys looking in terms of finding those people that you're potentially going to hire are you going recruiting agency are you just talking to people what's the what's the route that you're taking
1: so we're really trying to utilize our networks at the moment okay. um, angel investors that we know you know, they know people going through universities mm. um even you know things like startup dunedin um i've talked to a few of the startup agencies in christchurch that i had a bit of contact with when i lived up there mm-hmm. so it's utilizing the network at this stage mm. yeah well, probably share it out through some of our social media as well and just see what
0: See who comes out of the woodwork. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's one of those hard things. I talk to a lot of startups about these first few hires or even finding co-founders mm. can be really difficult, um, yeah. especially getting someone that you're gonna gel with because like you guys, mm. you'll be sitting so close to each other working day in day out with that same person. So if you don't yeah. get along, that can mean big issues for your startup, um, and it's someone year, who important. also
1: understands startup mentality because yeah, it's a very different course. thing working um, in a big corporate or you know in a, in a wide team to yeah startup and and the sort of drive that you need for that. So mm. there's so many factors to finding the right person.
2: Mm,
0: definitely, definitely. So touching on that in terms of startup mentality, uh, for for you guys, I mean, obviously, you've been involved in some form of startup for a long time what's the what's the appeal what's the attraction what gets you out of bed and wanting to to be involved in a startup what do you love about it um, yeah or or conversely <laughs>
2: you're not that way <laughs> <fun>. what do <laughs> you hate <laughs> <laughs> um, the highs are high and the lows are low right um, okay. it's it's quite a it can be quite a wild ride um, but for me one my background in it, agriculture and just my continued passion for agriculture this is something I'm really interested in Mm. um and I think also driving seeing the potential in the product um as well all the interest we get and also the potential of of what it can be and where Mm. it's going and so making all those iterations and building upon that is really it's great to be a part of um and yeah it's really inspiring to see and I yeah it's been a Been a fun journey and it will continue.
1: It's really rewarding as well because when you're a small team, um, you know that everything you've achieved is because of what you've directly put in. You don't Mm -hmm. sort of get swept up in the large numbers of a big business. Yeah, there's a lot of autonomy as well. So, yeah, yeah, it's really rewarding working for a small company, I think. Still up, sort of. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, touching on that note of highs and lows, mm-hmm. um, obviously there are times in a startup where it's incredibly frustrating, <laughs> right? Um, and there can be some, some big challenges. Have you guys had any challenges that you've had to overcome this year? Has there been anything that's, I suppose, frustrated you or, or something difficult that you've
2: had to face? Uh, yeah, sometimes you experience those highs and lows all in the same day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Who doesn't love a roller coaster yeah. emotions? <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the biggest challenge for us, I guess, in terms of product development, has actually been the environment that we operate in. So the New Zealand environment and the New Zealand farm environment can be quite challenging and, and harsh. You've got the UVs, which just absolutely destroy plastics and all sorts of stuff. Um, we're working in areas where it's very hot during the, the summers, obviously, hot and dry. Mm-hmm. Um, the winters can be very cold. Even you know within a day, those temperature swings can be massive. Mm. Plus, we have that solar panel that's black, heats up even more in the sun. So we've got huge amounts of temperature swings. They're right under a sprinkler, so there's a lot of moisture there. Um, so designing a reliable and robust product in that environment can definitely prove challenging. Okay. Um, and then you add on, I guess, the radio communication aspect of that and same thing you've got metal pipes which are interfering you've got the water which can actually interfere um, you may have tree breaks wind breaks all those sorts of things that um, can be quite challenging to to get something up and running on
0: right okay and so what does that look like in terms of you moving through that have you encountered any problems that you haven't been able
2: to find a workaround for um it's taken us a while, but we, we got there at the end of last season, mm-hmm. so this year we're making some of those changes on what we, we found out last year and going into field with that. So mm-hmm. one problem we had was um, water getting into the enclosures. So they were off the shelf enclosures and they were IP rated, so rated to withstand certain levels of moisture and dust. What we found is that they didn't actually stand up to that rating, mm-hmm. um, unfortunately. So we had a few issues with that. So it's, that was one of the, the biggest ones. Um, mm-hmm. And then once we move around that, we're looking at other ways around the, mitigating those temperature swings. And um, if you've got a sealed box, if it, when it heats up, the air expands, it cools down, the air contracts. You've got these pressure changes inside as well which can damage seals and there's a whole whole variety of things. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's
1: really important as a startup to find the right group of people to, to get your test products on because mm-hmm. you know you can't tell these things with with lab testing when you have to then put it out on the farm so yeah, having farmers that are open to working with with early innovations
0: that are patient that
1: are patient that will give yeah. you realistic feedback. We don't want positive feedback, we want to know actually, is it working? Because we can't fix a problem if we don't know mm. it's there. Yeah. yeah.
2: It's having the, you know, we give it to someone and say, break it. We're not yeah. precious about it, yeah. break it, what's wrong, let's make it better. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So what, has that relationship with that farmer um, that you guys are testing with
0: always been like that from the start? Was that a conversation you had up front? Or did it take a while to get to that point where they're comfortable with the technology not necessarily functioning, how it's going to, somewhere down the track?
2: Yeah, it I mean that was the first conversation we had was, hey look, here's where we are, here's where we're going. We want you to be aware, you know, we'll be out here on the farm and we were at one of the farms in Alexandria. I feel (laughs) like I spent months and months of my life over there. (laughs) Um,
1: We were out sometimes to like four in the morning in the middle of winter, like one time it was like negative what, like four degrees or something.
2: Snow, rain. Winds, there was very little sunshine for some reason when we were <laughs> over there. Um, I got a call one time from the distributor that said, oh, it just started raining, you must be on your way over. And I said, like, yes, yeah.
1: yes, I am. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And let me tell you, Central Otago is cold in wintertime. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I think for that farmer in particular, um, he really appreciated seeing us out there. You know, yes, the product wasn't yeah. quite um, functioning to, to the standard that we wanted it to, mm. but he knew that we were there um, whenever he needed us, yeah. and we, we were as dedicated as him.
0: Builds respect it. and trust yeah. in relationship when you do that sort of yeah, thing exactly. for someone, right? Exactly. Um, it shows that you guys are, are serious about what you're doing and you're willing to go mm. that extra mile mm. when it mm. comes down to it. What, so explain to me why you needed to be a, in a panic at four in the morning. I know this the, was in a shed,
1: <laughs> basically. A shed. Although okay. to be fair, the last day when we were installing it. Uh, Got a little dark. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: Started to, dusk was upon us. Definitely. Yeah. Um, it was just the the time we had, the hours we needed to to get everything done, and and pushing through just to get it done. Mm. Um. Mm. And I guess part of that is coming from an agricultural background. You do work until the the job's done. Mm. And so we'd gone over there. We were staying over there, and it wasn't okay. It's five o'clock. You know, talk to yeah, do say, say yeah, bye yeah. to the farmer mm. and. He's gonna be well. Well, it's not done. It's gonna take you twice as long if you do that. So we just yeah. we got it done and got him out there and got everything set up. And um, them seeing that, yeah, the, and that we were making progress each time as well. So something would come up. We'd spend the time over there. We'd fix it, um, and that was just continued on until it was all up and running.
1: Mm-hmm. And a little bit of that goes also towards um, Aaron and I really value our own personal lives. Mm. Um, so it's really important, especially in a startup when there's so much to do, that you do take a step back for your own mental health. Mm. Um, and so you know, we would spend massive hours on the farm because we wanted to get the job done so that we could go and have our own time. And actually switch off and switch rather off. than thinking about yeah. that yeah, problem. Yeah, and there's no point if, if you can um, condense and really put the long hours in there's mm. no point dragging um, dragging something that out, you out. know? Yeah, totally.
0: Yeah. totally. Yeah. So, so touching on that point of, of mental health, um, obviously when times get frustrating, they get frustrating, you guys can get overwhelmed, it happens to everyone. Are there certain tools or habits or things that you rely on to keep yourself in check in terms of your mental health? Is there something that you do when you feel overwhelmed to help alleviate that or something that you do regularly so it doesn't come as hard as it could? Mm. Just yep. each of you personally.
2: Yeah, I guess the thing for me, growing up on a farm and spending lots of times out, outdoors, I just try to get outside okay. is the, the biggest thing. you know, If I can do a day camping or hiking or rock climbing or go surfing or just something, I'll just go do something and have that because those activities, because I do need to be focused on mm-hmm. kind of what's going on right then and there. I guess hiking, then it kind of gives me the, the time to think and go through everything, but the other activities are kind of that, I've got to be here in the moment and have that distraction to then come back fresh to everything. Nice, do you go rock climbing down here? Yeah, I do. Whereabouts? Uh, Long Beach, Port Chalmers, um, out near Peer Canoe as well, so there's a few places. Been over in Central a couple of times as well. Awesome, yeah. awesome. How about yourself?
1: Um, so I, I really like running. Um, yeah, trail running especially is kind of a bit of time in nature, like see said, outside. Um, it's a good distraction. I mean, you just have to watch where you put your feet, you can't really think about much else. Yeah. So, yeah. And then conversely, um, I think it's really important to have good friends around you. So you can, you know, say, hey, let's go for dinner and, mm. and let's talk about something completely unrelated and a bit of a distraction for a while. So you can go back with a fresh mind because, you know your brain's a powerful thing, and the background things are always taking over. Definitely, yeah. definitely.
0: And talking to people is Ta- yeah. really important, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Getting that outside perspective. Mm-hmm. I found it interesting, so we, uh, we were part of a workshop together, X Farm, and obviously set up to Needham, and we did some personality testing. Right? Yeah. Um, and Sami and I found out we're the same personality,
2: <laughs> <laughs> which is cool. oh no. no. Um, <laughs> <just kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: um, and we were we were talking about different different things that we rely on, and I just I just resonate with that in terms of talking to people when you're overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. For me, it forces me to confront whatever I'm. Feeling frustrated about, and actually think it through because I have to articulate that to someone else. Yeah,
1: and then Um, we also talked about journaling and how that um, was quite helpful because you know sometimes you're like, oh, I'm not actually ready to talk to someone else about this. I need to get my thoughts in order first, and so yeah, journaling I find really helpful as well. Yeah,
0: yeah, me too. I mean, yeah, we were speaking about this before. I've just started doing it, and it was it's been great. Yeah, Um, just being able to. Essentially, have that conversation before you have that conversation. Yeah, and it helps you get the thoughts, so.
1: you know, out of your head onto paper. And then you can close your journal, and it's gone. and you know you don't have to think about it anymore. Yeah,
0: hundred percent. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Cool. Yeah. So, Next Farm is obviously part of the Sprout AgriTech Accelerator, and yep. um, I want to talk a little bit about that. How did you guys end up getting involved in the accelerator? You've been in since I think February, is that right?
1: Yeah, first workshop was yeah. mid Feb. Okay. Yeah. So, what was their application process like? How
0: did you find out about it and jump on board?
2: Um, yeah, how did I find out about it? So, I I know a company here in Dunedin that went through the first cohort mm-hmm. of Sprout, um, and so I found out obviously through Is talking that with him, tri- AgriTrack. AgriTrack. Yeah. Okay. Right. Um, so, yeah, with talking with Andrew there, found out quite a bit about it. Um, obviously, it's changed quite a bit since because. That for you. I don't quite remember how many years ago, but four years or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, but knew about it through him. I got in touch with James Bell Booth, who works there through mm-hmm. Advocus Bio when I first moved to Dunedin um, So I'd kind of been aware of it throughout the process, and um, yeah. Then this year we kind of had the team, and we're at a stage that we thought it'd be worth it applying for, and, and it obviously and, was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been really good.
1: I think we met Stephen in California as well, yeah, so we right were part too. of a um, government delegation that went over to California last year cool. to have a look at the Californian um, farming ecosystem, talked okay. to some farmers there, and so one of the mentors, Stephen, was on the same delegation and got talking, and he was pretty keen for us to apply and get yeah. involved, which was yeah pretty cool that he, you know, from an outside perspective, he saw um, the applicability mm. and, and the talent in the team and wanted us it It's always
0: done. useful to have those conversations early before you apply for an accelerator. Mm. If you can get a connection with somebody that's involved in running it somehow, um, it should give you a pretty good indication of whether you should apply or not yeah, reasonably sure. quickly, yeah. um, especially if you don't ask them directly, because it yeah. makes them want you more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was having a uh, call with um, Laura Rital from Creative HQ last mm. week, I think I mentioned this at the Challenger Series um, workshop that we had earlier this week, but she was talking about uh, investment and the big thing um, being like if you're gonna look for investment in six months time start asking for advice six months prior right yeah and and if you go out and ask for advice usually someone's gonna th- start start to think maybe i would invest in that company conversely if you go out and ask for investment you usually end up getting <laughs> advice <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so you, you want to get ra- that round the right way um yeah. But it's just really interesting to me. And it's, it's common sense, right? If you build a relationship with someone, nobody's gonna sign a cheque the first time they meet you. So, of course, if you build a relationship with them, you're gonna be more likely to put, get something over the line when you actually have that conversation with them. So that makes sense. So, so tell me about this trip to the, the States. What, what was it for? It was a delegation from New Zealand to go and check out how farming's done over in California, is that right?
1: Yeah, so it was run through Callaghan Innovation. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and Agritech New Zealand um and we had a couple of days traveling around seeing different farmers meeting the growers talking to people like western growers which is a, a how would you describe western growers
2: um what are they aren't they a cooperative of, of growers essentially so okay. they they also have some sort of co-working incubation type space um right. to tie agri-tech companies in with their grower network awesome yeah. awesome and uh, dairy farms over there is what you were no, 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 so
1: the, we went over kind of with the mindset for rim and irrigation. Ah, okay, yeah. right. Yeah, because right. water's a massive problem in California. Yeah, it? of yeah. course, with the fires and things yeah. you see
0: Yeah, it gets so dry, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Um, yeah. And then also labour shortages. There's actually more people going from America into Mexico than the other way. Yeah, wow. so um, growers over there are really struggling to get people to actually pick the crops. Okay. So, yeah, there's a labor shortages and water shortages are the two biggest issues I seeing over there, which right. are quite big issues in New Zealand, and that's uh, pretty cool to see that um, the challenges that we face here, although we're quite small, um, apply, on
0: apply on a, apply global, on a scale.
1: global scale, for sure, yeah. It, so
0: does that apply for you guys? You guys are gonna look at how you can export RIM and maybe track to other countries?
1: RIM, for sure,
2: yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah track. unsure at this stage how it applies globally. Mm-hmm. But RIM, definitely. Uh, we've already had interest for offshore test sites. Also, awesome. it's just kind of getting to that stage where we can actually service and support those sites and, and then going overseas. Because New Zealand isn't that large of an irrigation market. And uh, honestly, we're lucky here that we don't have that big of issues with water mm. compared to the rest of the world. So there's a lot of other other places where there's a lot more need for it and a lot more customers.
1: New Zealand's a really good place to test mm. products, especially agricultural mm. products, because um, there's such diversity in the farming types. Um, you know, you've got Southland to Canterbury to around the Wellington area, Hawke's Bay, and they all produce different um, crops or or s- stock. Yeah. So yeah, as a company, it's really exciting that there is so many different test areas and that you can really validate your product
0: before you, before
1: end you go offshore.
0: Yeah, for sure. Have you guys put much thought into what that's gonna look like when you go overseas? You're probably gonna pair up with distributors, you have some boots on the ground. I don't know if you've thought about that.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no definitely. So uh, trying to keep with the same model so we won't have boots on the ground to the extent that we're going and finding those farmers to sell through, mm. but finding those distribution partnerships and establishing those and the support behind them mm-hmm. um, is really what we're looking at to do. And um, one farm in Tasmania is the farmer themselves, um, but the other um, test potential test sites in South America have been through distributors.
0: Okay, yeah. nice. So looking back to Sprout. <laughs> <laughs> is it, yeah. Is it, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, what have you, what sort of value have you guys got out of being part of that accelerator? It's obviously remotely run, but you spend a little bit of time up in Palmerston North. Is that right?
1: Um, there's been two in Palmerston North, one in Christchurch and one in Hamilton. So, okay.
2: So there's weekly calls with our mentor advisor. Yeah. And then there's monthly actual meetups with the whole cohort. Um, honest, like they, they've taught a lot of very valuable information. Mm -hmm. Um, made good contacts and everything through them. Honestly, what's been he- tremendously valuable has been their their questioning, their challenging, their, their mm. kind of pushback. Um, at first, I almost went into it and was like, oh, I thought this would be more like a, you know, uplifting, this is great, <laughs> but then I realized that actually it's way more beneficial and way more empowering to have them ask those tough questions, mm. and make you go, oh yeah, I'm not sure about that one, then you look into it and go, oh yeah, no, this is awesome, let's, yeah. Uh, and it's really
1: important, those questions are, um, hit, they hit you early, there's mm-hmm. no point in three years down the track and someone says that and we're like, oh we're, you thought know, about that. Yeah, yeah, how do we pivot now? Yeah, so, true,
0: yeah. Awesome, and I suppose that the other effect that that has is that you guys then turn up to those meetings expecting those sorts of questions, so it forces you to be vigilant and forces you to actually prepare yeah. in the way that you would or you'd hope that you would otherwise anyway yeah mm. Yeah.
1: at the end of the, the workshops the monthly workshops we have you have a sit down session with um, your mentor and only one other person and we tend to walk away from those being like oh wow you know like We're what do l- we l- do, l- l- do l- yeah. now yeah. <laughs> yeah but it's really good because if you didn't have someone asking you those questions you'd carry on down the track mm. and not even realize that maybe it's not the right track to be
2: going down.
0: Totally. So is it just one mentor that's paired with you through that whole process?
2: Yeah, it's yeah. one main contact and then at the monthly events that we have, usually they'll pull someone else from the sprout team in to to sit alongside and have that conversation. Okay. Mm. okay. Mm. Um, but you kind of you have access to their whole team there. Yep. So if your mentor advisor doesn't have the right skill set, they'll say, oh, give this person a ring. They do a lot with governance, or they do a lot with fundraising, mm. or whatever it may be.
0: Cool. Mm-hmm. Have you
2: guys experienced any mental whiplash?
0: I, mean, I suppose it's in Sprout or otherwise. You know, you might not understand that term. So one classic thing we see, particularly at startup weekend more than anywhere else, because the companies are so, so early stage that mm-hmm. they could go in any direction, is that you'll have a founder that goes and speaks with one mentor and that mentor will give a piece of advice, and then another mentor will come and speak to that found- same founder and give a completely conflicting piece of advice, like the complete officer. Um, quite often that founder's left being, you know, not knowing what to do because they put so much faith in both of those opinions. Is that something that you guys have experienced yourself? Yeah, I think um. so.
1: It's just, to that, ex- I think it's important that um, you need to listen to everyone, and mm. in particular people have different areas of um, expertise that you don't. But at the same time, um, it's your company and and you're the one that has the knowledge. So yeah, you you need to listen to everyone. but it's how much do, advice do you actually follow through on? You need to choose.
0: You need to choose what's important, right? Yeah, yeah that's exactly what we tell people at mm. Startup Weekend. is it, It's not a good answer if you get into like a mentor meeting or with someone and go and somebody asks, "Why did you make that decision?" It's not a good answer to say, "Angus told you to," or "Aaron told you no. to," or "Sammy told you to." You need to have come to the conclusion yourself mm. um, and, and evaluated things yourself. Yeah, yeah. yeah and you
1: know, have to realize that you know these people are giving you their advice based on their own experiences. So, Mm. you know, what are their experiences? How relevant are their experiences to what my experience and my company's experience are?
0: Definitely, and that is a tough thing for a mentor. I think a lot of people that get put in mentor roles get caught with the fact that I'm a mentor, so I have to have answers. I have to be able to tell people an answer to whatever question they have um, when in reality sometimes it's more useful for them to actually say that's not my area or I don't mm. know. Mm. Um, Which is actually
1: a more powerful thing to do I think is actually acknowledge where your own shortcomings are and, and be able to admit that Definitely. and say actually it's best if you go talk to this person.
2: So much more useful mm. as well, right? Yeah. 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 Um, I think one thing you can take away from some of those mental whiplash scenarios is that there is no right answer, depending mm. on what, what the advice is about, but there's a lot of different ways you can go about it and it is finding what what fits for you and what resonates with you um something just interesting recently how to structure a pitch um we've had a couple people give advice on that and um they have actually been almost polar opposite the advice they (laughs) Um, and so you know within an investor crowd you can't have that one size fits all sort of pitch you can you pick that advice what flows and feels best for you and um, puts the company out there mm-hmm. with the best foot forward, mm-hmm. but um, you can't really take one's person <laughs> yeah. as, as gospel. Yeah, there's not the, <laughs> the
1: one square investor, and every investor is the same. Yeah. So. yeah,
0: yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. That's yeah. a really good point. Uh, so, on, on Sprout, on that accelerator, do you guys spend much time with the other agritech startups that are, that are in that accelerator? Are there kind of sessions where you get to bounce off each other as well as the mentors and
2: the other people involved? Yeah, the I mean the underground events. When you're all there together, you spend what the first day is twelve hours essentially, and Mm. the what's the second day? (laughs) Eight. Yeah, the Friday is twelve hours. The Saturdays like ten or something. Yeah, yeah, eight ten hours. So you get to spend a lot of time with them. You're learning a lot of that time, but you have these breaks. You'll do activities together. Um, You get to yeah talk about what's going on. You hear the highs and lows. Who do you know that can help out? You have all those sorts of conversations. Cool. And mm-hmm. there are some
0: startups that you've met or founders that you've met that you've really got along with? There's people. Yeah, they're a great group. The whole yeah. Everyone's yeah. really
1: awesome. So it's been pretty cool experience, I yeah. think.
0: Cool. Yeah. I was looking at a few of the companies when I was doing research for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a few interesting ones. Obviously you guys saw me drinking that
1: um
0: Artifa. Yeah, yeah. That drink before this, which is which is really interesting because you guys are obviously at one end of AgriTech. There's people like yourself that are working on technology that's used in farms, and mm-hmm. then on the other end, there's people like them which are developing a drink made of New Zealand tree bark, was it black currants and uh, green tea extract, right? Yeah. Which is a consumable, so it's kind of yeah. completely, completely. Which goes to the company.
1: you know eating itself as an agricultural um, mm. aspect, you know, you, it's from gr- it's you know paddock to plate is is what they say. So in some way, everyone's involved. Everyone. Is in the agriculture industry because if you don't eat, you die. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. there,
0: there you go. So uh, one, one thing I wanted to talk to you guys about is is capital and funding. So obviously you have if the track which provides some cash flow for what you're doing. Are you guys also looking to raise or have you already raised some capital to help fund your company?
2: Yeah, uh, l- all of the above, really. Um, <laughs> So we did an initial raise in twenty seventeen. We've had some more money in from shareholders mm-hmm. in the interim. Uh, FUTRAC obviously, we've had a couple Callahan grants mm-hmm. um, and worked with the R and D team there, which was unbelievably helpful for us. Um,
1: Callahan is a really good resource. Okay. I um, yes. Definitely recommend yeah. anyone in a similar situation going and talking to them and applying. To them. Mm-hmm.
0: What was that process like for you guys? Did you start off by talking to sort of Ross Gray from the DCC or what was your contact into into Callaghan?
2: Um, so, we were lucky enough that some of our shareholders had a relationship with one of the customer managers. Mm-hmm. Um, he's actually out of Christchurch. Um, it, he's phenomenal. He's been great throughout the whole process and continues to just amaze me. Um, but so he, he kind of introduced me to to that and that process. They were actually trialing a pilot grant at that point. So it was. Okay projects under a certain dollar amount. There was a essentially a, a shorter application just because there wasn't as high of risk there, I guess, for Callahan. And so we were part of that pilot, um, which, yeah, jump-started us, which um, we probably yeah, wouldn't quite be in the same position we are today without it, so that was great. And then from there on, then we they closed that to evaluate it, and then we've just gone through their normal application processes since, and it's, kind of a normal grant application. It asks a lot of questions about all aspects of your business from, you know, what's the work you're doing, why is it important, how is it gonna benefit New Zealand Mm and um, increase capability and finances and all that. Mm -hmm.
1: I think people get a little bit frustrated sometimes at how long these applications take, but it's actually really important. It gives you a chance to step back from the day-to-day operations and and look at at an overview of the company. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, 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 I think it's really important to actually take that for granted, not take mm. that for granted, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, actually yeah. actually,
0: use that process as a, as a tool as well as obviously a way to secure some more funding. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. So you you were talking about capital raising. Mm-hmm. Um, what has that process looked like for you guys? Has it been kind of what you've
2: expected? Has it been slightly more
0: arduous? Has, do you want to talk us through a little bit about that? Yeah,
2: it's it's been relatively straightforward for us but we haven't um, raised that much which may be part of it and we had a really good network to start with and so it definitely does take longer than you'd expect um you know getting the documentation right having all those conversations that process takes time getting everyone to sign that needs to sign and um, we have shareholders here we have shareholders in the uk Mm -hmm. Um, We have shareholders that are constantly traveling, so they may be anywhere in the world at any given time. So kind of getting all those moving pieces to actually fit to get everything squared away and finalized Mm. definitely takes a bit of work. Cool. Um, And then I guess we're gearing up to go into another fundraising round. We've got a board meeting the first week of June to really finalize how we're going to go about that but looking at building the team, scaling overseas, all of those sorts of things. Having specific asks for when you go into that, right, is yes. really important, right? Yeah, yeah. and there's a, a lot of that reflection on on the business, right? Where where are we? Um, where are we going? What are those key milestones? What mm-hmm. are we using the money for? Um, and how are we building the, the value, the scale of the business?
0: Cool, yeah. cool. So, bit of a curly question. Mm-hmm. Either of you could
2: time travel back
0: in time and you can have your own answer or you can answer together. But if you could time travel back in time, say two years ago or or however long to the inception of Next Farm, what advice would you give yourself about Next Farm and that journey? It could be that you should order a sample and test whether they're waterproof or not before you actually use them. It could be that you should look at starting to raise earlier. It could be absolutely anything. But what advice do you think you'd give yourself about this journey with the Expo.
2: Um, my advice would be to take your time. Okay. Uh, there were a, a few things. There were some kind of artificial pressures put on um, us, me, and so I think things were were rushed more than they probably could have been, and we had a mm-hmm. bit more time than we thought, and we could use use used that time to to think and just shape things a little bit differently.
0: Okay. So in terms of not so much that extra, that, that time pressure causing you stress, but that time pressure meaning that you didn't necessarily evaluate things how you would have if you'd thought about them yes. for longer? Yes. Yep, exactly.
2: Yep. Okay. So take. I guess it's taking that step back earlier and doing that whole high-level process around everything, taking that time to think, and then getting into it. Okay.
0: Nice.
1: I think for me it would be um, – you, uh, be aware of the stress that comes along with being in a startup, mm. um, and I mean, there's there's not that much you can do about it, just given the nature of the business. But um, it's something that didn't take me by surprise. But um, yeah, I think you just need to be aware of that, and then it's about putting um, things in place that can help you deal with that, yeah. and and not letting things pile up. You know, mm. you, it's it's incredibly important to have time management especially in a small business like this because you know you're like i might do that tomorrow you never know what's going to happen tomorrow tomorrow. you know you might get a phone call at 901 that changes your entire three-month plan or your entire three-year plan totally so yeah it's it's important i think to put some um
0: some good processes around those
1: things yeah exactly
2: yeah i think uh a couple weeks ago we did up our kind of to-do list and prioritized it and everything and then. Probably the next day we had a meeting and we actually said, "Well, scrap everything. With the <laughs> <next> <laughs> <day>. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. These four things are actually it's our priorities." Really yeah.
0: yeah. So, so, when you said you had a meeting, did you have a meeting with each other or your directors? Yeah, no, with okay. each other. Yeah. yeah, okay.
1: We've got a whiteboard in our office that you know gets wiped every now and then, and, and yeah. new things listed, and yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one, eh? That that prioritisation of tasks. I feel, like, mm. I feel like the temptation for at least myself personally is always to put the things that scream the loudest at the top, which Aren't necessarily the things that are most productive. No. Um, you know, if you can set up some sort of process that saves you a minute every day, I mean, that's going to be. If it takes you an hour to do that, it's going to be worthwhile by the end of the year. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, yeah. so yeah, having having some robust thinking around that. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely yeah. makes sense. Definitely makes yeah. sense. Cool. Well, that concludes all of the questions that I had for you guys. Um obviously the one thing that we always end on is, is there a message that you want our audience to take away with them? Is there something that you guys want to plug? It can be connections, it can be possible customers, it could be absolutely anything.
2: Yeah, I think the biggest thing for us right now is building out that technical team. So if you or you know anyone that has those skills, software, firmware, hardware, um, get in touch. You can find us on our website or maybe there'll be a link attached with this, my contact info. Um, get in touch with us and, and reach out and we'll have that chat
0: awesome well thank you guys so much for joining me on the show that concludes this episode of the Startup Dunedin podcast. Hey everyone, hope you enjoyed that episode of the Startup Dunedin podcast. I just wanted to take a moment to let you know of two exciting opportunities coming up here in Dunedin. The first one is co-starters. We run two cohorts a year and the second one is starting the end of this July and you do not want to miss it if you've got a brand new idea or you're in the midst of starting something new. We'll walk you through that process and you'll be one of only 24 people a year that we take through that course. The other one is If you're a university of otago or otago polytechnic student you need to know about audacious whether you want to develop creative thinking skills critical thinking skills have a practical project to talk about in your cv with a potential employer or just start a successful company, Audacious is for you. We walk you through the process of starting a startup in just one semester, and it's quite light touch. You'll be able to fit it around your studies, and you'll be able to have time for all the social activities and everything else you enjoy, but it is a program that you don't want to miss. If you're interested, expressions of interest are taken at audacious.co.nz. Cheers.